Uh, scripture, let's, let's hear what, what God's got to say in the Scripture. Luke 9, 51, 52, uh, 56 says, When the days drew near for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village uh, of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, known as the Sons of Thunder, by the way, saw, uh, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell a fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Hence the Sons of Thunder. But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. These Sons of Thunders, oh my goodness. Well, when I was a kid, I went to a Christian private school here on the east side, but I lived in, in Seattle. And, you know, in, in those times, it was predominantly dominant culture, you know, white cats at this, at this school with a handful of us brown and black brothers um, there. And most of us lived in Seattle, so we took the city bus to go home, the metro bus. And um, one of these times, about 1991, I'm like 13, um, my friends, we're all in the back, and they're being loud and belligerent, and I'm like, yo, you guys need to calm down, because they're going to kick us off this bus. See, because I've told the story before here that when I was seven, back in the 80s, um, I was kicked off a bus, or my family was kicked off a bus, we ended up with my cousin in handcuffs, so I'm like, yo, I'm not going through that again. So they were like, no, nah, they can't do anything to us. I'm like, all right, fine, suit yourself. So I grabbed my stuff, and I walked up to the, to close to the front of the bus, and I sat down by myself. Well, of course, right before we were going to go over the floating bridge and go into what we consider safety, Seattle, the, the, the bus driver slammed on the brakes. This cat never liked us, by the way. I don't know if he was racist. I don't know if he didn't like young people. I don't know what it was, but he never liked us. He got up and he went to the back and said, get off my bus. And he kicked all of my friends off the bus. And I was like, yo, I told y'all it was going to happen. But then he proceeded to walk up to the front. He said, and you get off my bus. And I was like, yo, I separated myself. I told him to be quiet. They didn't listen. He's like, no, I know it's you who's graffitiing all on this bus. Because, of course, right next to me is graffiti on buses, as it were on every single bus. But apparently this cat did no immigrant uh, mentality because my parents taught me, like, look, because you're brown and immigrant, you already have a bunch of strikes against you. So don't give anybody any more reasons um, to be suspicious of you. So I would never, nor have I ever graffiti on anything. And I was like, no, 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 that wasn't me. This is this, I'm drawing comic books. This is a special marker for that. He's like, no, I know it was you. And I just got a little flashbacks of my cousin in handcuffs. So I had a choice to make. I could either escalate this thing and plead my case, or I could concede. And I conceded. Picked up my sketchbook, my bag, and I got off that bus. Now, our parents heard about this, obviously, and the school got involved, and we went to Metro, and we never got to talk to the bus driver. We dealt with, the, I don't know, the supervisor or whoever it was. And uh, he was like, no, he doesn't need to talk to you. He was like, because he was in the right. Like, you guys were loud, and you guys were disturbing the peace, and he has every right to kick anybody off that bus. And so he was, you know, it was within his right to kick him off, which was true. They were being loud. <laughs> they were going to get kicked off. I go, but it seems like I was targeted, though. I wasn't a part of it. But he's like, no, it's all good. We, we, we you know, don't talk to him. Or we couldn't talk to him. So from what we know, he's never reprimanded. He was on his route the next day. We had to see him. Well, my principal of my school, who was a Caucasian cat and white dude, um, apparently that wasn't good enough for him. So I don't remember if it was the next week or I don't know what it was, but he went and waited out at the bus stop with us. So when the bus pulled up, he jumped on this bus and like laid into this bus driver. And he's like, yo, and we were just like, yo, the principal's like standing up for us. And he, I can't remember what he said. You know, these are kids and they're minors. You can't just leave them wherever you want. They're our kids, they're our responsibility. But I was just so shocked that biscuits went up there and started laying into this cat. And what was my principal's name? Mr. White. 
Yeah, baby, take that. <laughs> Mr. God, go ahead, Mr. White. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, this incident changed my life forever. It actually changed my faith quite a bit. And I'll finish that story as, as we move on through this sermon series. Well, so, or this sermon. So the sermon series we're talking about is a story, uh, storytellers where um, people that Jesus invites um, to follow him, they all have a story of why they began following Jesus and how Jesus transformed their lives. And listening to other people's testimony sometimes of, of how Jesus changed our lives can lead us into places that are uncomfortable for us, whether that's abuse or other things. But if it's their testimony of how Jesus changed their lives, then it benefits the community. So today, I'm going to talk about how racism changed my life. But more importantly, how the power of someone's faith and love for Jesus changed my perception on racism and gave me more hope in Christ more than anything else I've ever encountered. But it does require me to talk about racism. Now, um, my, uh, I've heard the phrase over and over again, can we please stick to the gospel? Can we not talk about prejudice and racism all the time? It doesn't help. In fact, sometimes it makes things worse. Well, I can kind of agree to that, yeah, sometimes it does make things worse because there's unhealthy ways to talk about issues and then there's healthy ways to talk about issues. But if we're never willing to talk about them within the church, then essentially we're telling the world something that we, God has given us to resolve. We're telling the world, you know what? You figure it out. And as disciples of Christ, I don't think that's a place where we want to be. And talking to my friend Brian, who's an African-American cat, who I'll be sharing a story later, you know, we noticed something that when we went to dominant culture, white churches, he's like, they never talked about racism from the pulpit, ever. Of all the churches I've been in, so like, they never brought it up, which is funny to us because, or at least to me, because in my minority churches, we talked about it all the time. If we weren't allowed to talk about racism in our churches, there wasn't a lot that we had to talk about because it was a part of our lives. And we were looking to where does God help us in these things? So if we were to leave that out, we were going to leave out a big chunk of our lives. So it was common. But I do know that it is uncomfortable to talk about it in dominant culture churches. I understand that. So I would try to be as graceful as I can with these things. So we have this encounter that we read about the Samaritans who reject Jesus. So he goes into this place. They don't like, they don't like that he's, that he's uh, uh, heading off to Jerusalem. Because they didn't like the Jews and they, but they were upset that he wasn't going to spend time in their temple or whatever. But they didn't like it so they reject him. And then his homies get all bent out of shape um, and try to call a, a, a fire down upon them. These sons of thunders are just out of control. So first of all, the Samaritans don't act right. And then these fools don't act right. And Jesus is like, you SOTs, do you not listen to what I've been teaching you, you sons of thunders? ignorant sons of thunders. He said, do you not know what's in my scripture? Do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. Have you not been listening? So he says, shut your mouth when you're talking to me. So he rebukes them, and then they head on. And maybe you've heard in the Bible that the Samaritans and Jews don't like each other. Well, it's interesting that the author of Luke, you can see that the feeling is mutual. Neither one of those cats acted right except for Jesus. And it's more that they didn't like each other. Maybe you don't know the history too much. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of bring us up to speed here because there was some serious bad blood between them. They don't even actually agree on their own history. There's two narratives of who the Samaritans are. There's the Jewish narrative, some of it which we have in the Bible, and then there's the Samaritan narrative of who they are, who are still alive to this day. There's about 850 of them in the Holy Land. Well, the Jewish uh, narrative of who the Samaritans are is that about 1,000 years before or so, before this encounter with Jesus, um, the kingdom of Israel split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, which we read in the book of uh, 1 Kings. 
And well, according to the Jews, the northern kingdom were out of the pot. They were, they were not obeying God. So God allowed the Assyrians to come and conquer them and then took a bunch of Israelites away back into Assyria. But they left a few Israelites in the land of Samaria. And then they brought in foreigners to occupy the land. And then the Israelites that were there and these foreigners intermarried, which was not allowed. And they no longer became Israelites in Samaria, but now they're known as Samaritans. And the Jews did not like them, considered them unclean for doing this. Now, that's the Jewish narrative. The Samaritan narrative is that, well, the Samaritans don't agree that, with this whole thing because they claim they are descendants of ancient Israelites that never left the Holy Land because they never went to exile. So they were always there. They have kept the traditions to this very day. The Samaritans believe that the ancient Israelites originally built a tabernacle on Mount Gerasim, where they worship, in the north. And King Solomon built another temple in Jerusalem, which you read in the Bible, splitting the kingdoms into two. And so the Samaritans continued to worship at Mount Gerasim for centuries. So they didn't even agree on their own history. And on top of that, eventually the southern king of Judah, they too are disobeying God. And God has the Babylonians conquer them and take them off into exile. And we read that in uh, like books of Jeremiah and Daniel. And then when they return, they want to rebuild Jerusalem want to rebuild a temple. We read that in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And the, the Samaritans come from the north and come and want to help the Israelites. Hey, can we help, re, uh, help you rebuild a temple? Because I'm pretty sure in the Bible it says, because we worship the same God. And the Israelites are like, dude, get your dirty Sammy hands off my, my temple. I don't want you touching these things. And they reject them. Well, the Samaritans don't take too kindly to that. And not only do they get upset, they reject them, but then they start to oppose rebuilding of the temple. So now we have this deep animosity between these two tribes, these two races, these two groups of people. They don't agree on each other's heritage. They don't agree on who, which temple they should be worshiping at. And they don't agree on religious practices. And even though they are both descendants of ancient Israel. So all that was needed to be said in the times of Jesus is, are you an Israelite? Are you a Jew? Or are you a Samaritan? And if you knew, then that was the trouble. All that was needed. Because they hated each other. Essentially what they went down to is like, you know what? You worship in your temple, and we'll go worship in our temple. Or let me read closer today. This water fountain is for your people, and this water fountain is for our people. Well, let me bring it even closer to us. This church is for your people, and that church is for your people. Let's get it closer. This service is for our people, that service is for your people. That is not what God's gospel is, to be dividing people. We have a term today that we kind of hear, and it's been kind of wrapped up in politics, and now we kind of you know, use the phrase of woke culture, but whatever, but there's this term uh, systemic racism. And that's not bigotry and prejudice between two people, but systemic racism is that a system that's put in place in order to elevate one group or one race over the other. Now, that's happening today, but here we see it in the Bible. There's a system put in place in order to keep these two people separate. If you want to stick to the gospel, okay. Let's stick to the gospel. I told you about my, my friend, my African-American friend, Brian. And um, uh, Brian, he's, he's the nicest guy you've ever met. He's a super cool cat. And um, his parents, um, they always, they wanted to represent Jesus best they can and, and live a, a life like Jesus. And so they, they didn't throw everything, you know, throw the race card and everything. That everything was racist of a bad you know, bad interactions. So they taught their family to love people. And until they give them, they give you a reason to show that they don't like you, treat them with kindness and respect. So Brian always tried to see the positive in people. And he didn't tend to put up too much of a fight when it came to racist interactions because he wanted to see good intent. Well, in 11th grade, he went to a Christian boarding school, which 
again, the, the, in this area at that time, there's predominantly Caucasian cats, predominantly white kids, and then a handful of black and brown brothers and sisters up in the joint. And so he, in, in a Christian boarding school, you have, it's mandatory, you go to chapel. And, um, and so Brian had just learned how to give himself a fade, which is a typical African-American haircut. Now, I'm getting a natural fade due to my male pattern baldness, but, you know, no clippers necessary. But he had, you know, he gave him fade. He got really good at it. He's like, yo, my hair was looking fresh. I got my, gave myself a fade. I put on my suit and I went off to chapel. Well, before chapel started, the vice principal of the school came to him and he said, hey, look, uh, Brian, your hair's out of school policy. Can you come with me? Do you need to go sit in the mother's room? And again, Brian, who, you know, didn't, didn't really put up a fight, you know, he was a little bit in shock and confused because he was like, Sergio, I, I just had a normal fade. I didn't put any slits in my hair or anything fancy. It was just a normal African-American basic haircut. And the reason why he was so shocked and confused when he was sitting in the mother's room, he's like, there was these two white cats who were sitting close to the front who had completely shaved heads, black trench coats, and black combat boots who straight up looked like skinheads in the church. And no one said anything to them. If there was anybody who was out of school policy, it was these two cats. But yet it was Brian who was sitting in the mother's room. Now, Brian's parents obviously got involved in this. And he's like, you know, I've never seen my dad so upset in my life um, other than this incident. But it did lead them to talking to the school board, which led them to hiring an African-American teacher. And, his, um, and Brian loved this teacher. He was one black teacher among a bunch of white teachers. He loved this teacher. He was so engaging and loved to teach and loved to engage um, with the students. And he taught them all kinds of stuff. He taught them to be empathetic to other people, to Native Americans and all people. And later on in life, uh, and, and it was, be, I'm sorry, because of this teacher, Brian decided to be an educator. He fell in love with educating and decided to become a teacher. And later on in life, Brian wanted, uh, decided to connect with this teacher to tell him, to thank him. Like, look, you were such an inspiration to me. This is the reason why I'm a teacher today. And this African-American teacher, you know, uh, was happy for Brian, but he had to be honest with him. He's like, Brian, I never wanted to work in that school. He's like, I was not in a place in my life where I wanted to be the only black teacher among a predominantly white kids in, in white school. He's like, but I knew that that's where God was calling me. So I stayed, and I did my best to represent Christ as much as I could. So one thing I want to say to you today is go where God calls you. Don't be heading into place head first like a dolphin where someone where God ain't called you. Don't be going in gun blazes into places where God didn't call you because you might do more damage than good. But if God calls you into a place, God will equip you. Even though you don't feel you're equipped, God will equip you to make a change and a difference in places that you might be uncomfortable with. But if you do it on your own, it's not what we're called to do. So Brian said, you know, he, he, uh, talking about this interaction, he's like, you know, this interaction has given me the chance to give the same love and respect to kids um, because of this African-American teacher and his love for Jesus and his love for Native American culture that he taught me in school. Brian said, he's like, Sergio, although I hated that this interaction happened to me, if it, didn't, if it wouldn't have happened, maybe I would have never met this teacher. and Maybe I would have never been a teacher myself. It's who I am. So he goes, in a way, I'm glad it happened. So let me share with you why I'm here. You see, on that day, when Mr. White stood up for me at that bus stop, that was the first time any white person had ever stood up for me. I was 13 years old. Never once 
Never once did a white person ever say anything when we were getting kicked out of department stores, when my family was not being served in diners, when I was being kicked off the bus. Never once did any white person ever say, hey, maybe you're treating them unfairly, or hey, maybe you should serve them. Clearly they were here before us, or hey, he was just sitting on his own. He wasn't a part of that. Never once did any Caucasian person ever stand up for me. But on that day, See, I've known Mr. White since I was five years old. I know him to this day. And I know Mr. White loves God. And I know he's always tried to live his life in service of God. He's not perfect, but he lives his life as best as he can to be a disciple of God. And I learned on that day that Christianity was more than singing hymns. It was more than reading scripture. It was more than sitting in churches to listen to sermons. I learned on that day that I just, that, that, that Christianity is more than that. I had only given my life to Christ through baptism only a few um, uh, years before. And on that day, I learned that a dedicated disciple of God can make a difference in the issues of the world that I thought in my eyes were unsolvable. The world already showed me what discrimination was like. I didn't need that lesson. But a Christian who truly believes that all God's children are worthy of fair treatment is willing to put themselves on the line to stand up for others who can't. This interaction taught me more and gave me more faith than anything else ever in my life. My friends, the author of the book of Luke's and Act Luke's Sorry, because my Spanish. Luke's. Hey, go pick a Luke's. No. Luke <laughs> and Acts <laughs> went through so much trouble to include this account, this animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans, that I think it's safe to say that God is okay that we discuss it, that actually God wants us to be a part of it. But we must be able to discuss and listen to others. Even Jesus points it out later on in Luke when he tells a parable of a Samaritan. We call it the good Samaritan. That's not what Jesus said, but it's a Samaritan. And if you want to exercise an empathy, read that parable, but from the perspective of the Jews and see how that feels. And not only that, later on in this sermon series, we're going to talk about when Jesus meets up with a woman at a well who just so happens to be a Samaritan. So the authors of Luke and Acts uh, make an effort to point out this issue between these two tribes. And I have a question for you. When um, uh, Jesus rebukes uh, these ignorant SOTs, um, why doesn't he do something about that problem right then? Why doesn't he solve the racist issues going on or the animosity between these groups then? Why? Because where was he going? He was going to his death. He was going to die on a cross to be resurrected, to, to offer salvation and, and uh, conquer sin because he knows that this issue is a sin issue. And he knew that I could either win the battle right now, but he was more interested in winning the war. And so he didn't do anything about it then, but he said, be my witness. And if you still don't believe me, then let's turn to Acts 1.8. Well, this is Jesus now speaking to his disciples. He's, he's resurrected. He's about to go back into heaven. He says, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. My witnesses, meaning you witness what I have done. These stories that I'm telling, you will retell these stories in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let me put it in plainer language just in case you're not quite you know, uh, eating what I'm cooking here. Let's, uh, you will go to my white sisters and brothers and you will go to my black sisters and brothers and to the ends of the earth to witness of what I have done, what I am bringing to you. And that's a gospel that is meant to bring people together. So my challenge to you today 
Please let those who have testimony speak up without the fear of sucking the air out of the room. Or can we talk about racism with Jesus in the center of it all? Because this is still happening today. You know, my life, I can just recount the times in the 80s when kicked out of department stores or kicked off of buses or in 87 and in 91 or from people not getting in elevators uh, with me or being singled out at the airport and being searched or when I started working here in 2003 being, you know, uh, uh, pulled over for just, I think, being in the wrong neighborhood or, or my wife continue to answer people who look at our kids and be like, oh, are you their nanny because they have different color skin or asking them, oh, do they have the same father because my kids look uh, different than she does because she looks white or... Um, my kids coming home distraught because people at their elementary schools is chanting, build the wall. Or my kids coming, crying home because they hear at school that they're going to deport all Mexicans and they're worried about me that I'm going to get deported. Or even up to the year before COVID, when I was in my front house trying to work on the weather strip of, of my door where a, a Caucasian gentleman approached me and was like, hey, what are you doing? Thinking that I was trying to break into my own house. I've lived in this house for six years. Maybe you can decide not to speak about it but I can't. And not only do I want to speak about it, I want to tell my kids, I want to speak to my kids that God is, can be in the center of all these things and he has, has a way through. But I have to be able to discuss it. So let's try to learn from each other. Let's try to empathize with each other. Unfortunately, my friend Brian and myself, we never got to sit down and talk to I never, these people. I never got to sit down and talk to this bus driver to ever really know I mean, was it a racist thing? Was it a young thing? Was it was he having a bad day? Was he going through a divorce? I don't know. We never got to discuss it. Same thing with my friend Brian. Never got to talk to the principal. So I really didn't know what's going on. So we could only do half of really what God wanted us to do because without discussion, we can't get to reconciliation. But if we put Jesus in the center of it all, then I believe we can do what one of my favorite gospel singers sang so many times in the 60s, Mahalia Jackson, we shall. Overcome by its. God in heaven, I want to thank you so much for your word. I want to thank you so much that for the things that we struggle with, you already knew. I want to thank you so much for people who love you, who've, who've helped in so many different ways, Lord. I want to thank you for Bell Present as a people here today. As we learn from you, Lord, I want to thank you for dying on a cross for our salvation, that, your, uh, that no sin can conquer what you paid for us, Lord. I want to thank you that you are the way forward in all things. In your beautiful and your glorious name. And together we all said, amen.